Welcome to Up and Comers, a podcast where we focus on the young people that make up Eastern Ontario. I'm your host, Francis Tasia Burns. This week, I sat down with Umaya, who's our summer intern here at The Review. Initially, we chatted last week. Unfortunately, those files were corrupted, and so we lost that conversation. Um, she was nice enough to come back for a round two, and I really think this conversation actually turned out better than the first. So enjoy. conversation is that you liked literature i do you like film i do and like people a little bit less sometimes sometimes <laughs> sometimes <laughs> not um, all the time <laughs> before we get into that though uh, i'm wondering kind of just to start off maybe a bit of an intro to yourself all right uh well yeah my name is umaya perlin um, i'm interning here at the review this summer um, like you said, I like literature and film, um, and I'm really interested in journalism, so I'm really excited to have the opportunity to learn about it, you know, a bit hands-on, do a bit of everything. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's me. Nice. <laughs> um, and I think in our first conversation, you had mentioned that you had kind of moved around a little bit when you were younger? Yes, quite a bit. Always inside Canada, but um, I was born in Montreal, then we moved to British Columbia, um, moved around a bit there, then we came back here... Ontario. Uh, we lived in Vancouver Kill. Okay. And now we're in Hawkesbury. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How long have you been in this area? Um, like including Vancouver Kill. In Ontario, about eight or nine years. Okay. Eight years. Okay. And uh, you had said that your mom had moved around quite a bit as well, right? Yes. Oh, much more than I than I did. Um, I think my mom's family moved maybe 20 times uh, while my grandparents were married um, all over the world, uh, mostly in Europe. Uh, but my mom was born in Israel. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And um, they lived in South Africa for a long time. Um, they always kind of came back and forth from Montreal. Uh, my grandparents are Polish. They had never been to Canada before they got married. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was kind of like um, Israel, then... I think Brussels and then Montreal and then South Africa and some other places really? and then Montreal. Okay. So, yeah. Wow. Oh my God. Um, I guess with both your mom moving around so mm -hmm. much and yourself when you were younger, I wonder how that might affect your uh, sense of place um, kind of. Mm, deep. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, it definitely um, impacted my personality a lot. Um, you know, especially when you're a kid, it's difficult to be changing schools all the time mm -hmm. to always be the new kid, um, especially in around here, right? I went to school in Narnial and everybody knew each other, had known each other for years. Their parents knew each other and most of them were cousins, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so, you know, not only was I not their cousin but I was also completely new and I didn't know how anything worked mm -hmm. um but I think by now it's mostly translated into myself being very comfortable in new situations uh, meeting new people I I like to try new things and maybe being less comfortable when things stay the same for too long <laughs> I wonder if that 
feeling of always being a new person might, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, Influence? A little bit, I guess. Let's go with that. Influence um, or help develop that love for literature or film. Maybe something that you can kind of lose yourself into. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely something that has been a constant in my life and has helped me through some rough spots. Um, Because, you know, a book, you can be inside the book and that's your world. And then you can always go back to it. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very evocative, at least for me, to be reading a book that you've read before because suddenly you're back in the place where you first read it. Okay. And that's really cool and something that I've used uh, when I was little and feeling, you know, out of place. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And, of course, all those stories about kids moving to a new house and finding a secret passage to another, another world, yeah. uh, <laughs> that definitely influenced my uh, youthly explorations. <laughs> that's surprising to me that like, you mentioned rereading because that's something that I have done very little of usually. Really? I'll re- yeah, I'll read a book, read it once, and it doesn't matter how good the book is, I usually move on and always feel like I have to read something else. Oh, man. I read things over and over again, good and bad, and I watch movies <laughs> like a million times. Oh, even like bad books, I sometimes read them, I mean, not an extreme amount of times, but there's one particularly terrible book that I've read, I think, three times by now, What's just because book? it's called The Girl with All the Gifts. It's about zombies, and it's really, really bad. <laughs> it's really bad, and I resent it. Um, but I've read it very often, and specific passages of it, because... Like, I want to find out what makes it so bad, you know? Mm, fair enough. Do you have an idea? Um, I think I think it was a first draft, actually. I think the author just kind of pounded it out, and then was like, eh, you know what? Editing's for idiots. <laughs> All right, yeah, so, sure. Yeah. But the most times I've ever read a book was, like, maybe 35. I think I lost count, though. 35? Are you serious? What yeah. What book was it? Um... It was my favorite book when I was a kid. It was called Wild Magic. Uh, it was kind of a corny book about a girl who can talk to animals, but I really loved it. And uh, yeah, I just kept, like I would spend entire weekends just reading it. And it's not a very heavy book. So I just read it and I turn it over and read it again, and turn it over and read it again. Oh my God. <laughs> I practically know it by heart. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> Why? Okay. What was it about that book that uh, kind of drew you to... Uh, you know, I honestly don't know. Uh, sorry. Um, I've gone back to it a couple times <laughs> um, to figure it out. Um, I think it was just a well-written book about a girl who was a lot like I was when I first read it. Okay. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of cool magic in it and fun things. And uh, I don't know. I think it just so happened that, you know, it was a well-written book that I imprinted on, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then events eventuated. <laughs> um, so I remember last time we chatted, you mentioned <coughs> that you had met Margaret Atwood. I did. So how yes. did that happen? Um, well, she was giving a reading of one of her books. Um, it was a collection of short stories called Stone Mattress. And she was reading the story entitled Stone Mattress um, in Hudson. So we went, my mom and I, because my mom is a great fan of Margaret Atwood. And I had never read her before that. Okay. Um, in the weeks uh, coming up to the event, I was trying really hard to get through The Blind Assassin, I think it was. Um, but I didn't finish it uh, before we went, and I didn't really know her. Uh, 
But yeah, and that was really amazing. Um, her husband, Graham Gibson, was also there. He also read from his book that was the Bedside Book of Beasts that he had just published. Um, that was kind of my introduction to Canadian literature, actually. Okay. Yeah. And it was, it was amazing. It was really intimate. There were not a lot of people, uh, far fewer than I would have expected. And so I got the chance to like, actually ask her personally about uh, feminism. And How old were you at this point? 13. And you already knew what feminism was? <laughs> yeah. That's impressive. Well, no, no. I mean, I was raised by a single mom. It's it's a thing. <laughs> fair. Hey, there you go. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. That's really interesting. And uh, yeah, that really influenced my development. And I have a photo of myself with her. That's do you know, do you remember what you asked her specifically? Um, I, yes, I do. Um, I said that whenever people would be talking about her or, you know, introducing her to me, that they would say, and she's a feminist, or she's a bit of a feminist. And some of them said it as a compliment, and others said it, you know, but be careful, she's a bit of a feminist. Yeah, yeah. And um, I asked her about that, and I asked her if she considered herself to be a feminist and what she thought feminism was. Um, and her <laughs> answer was to say, um, all right, so everybody in the room, raise your hand if you believe that women have souls. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And went on to say, you know, raise your hand if you think women should be allowed to read books. And um, she said that feminism for her wasn't a political thing or a radical thing. It was just believing that women are people mm -hmm. um, and should be treated as such. Uh, so, yeah. G did you take that going forward? Did it kind of help shape what your oh, idea of feminism is now? Definitely, maybe? yeah. The only, like, feminist literature I'd read before that was... I think uh, Caitlin Moran, she wrote How to Be a Woman. Um, and that's a bit of a witty, irreverent thing that maybe not wasn't the best introduction to feminism. Okay. And so going from Margaret Atwood's view on it, I kind of missed that period that everybody, I think, has in their lives or in their relationships with feminism that, you know, it's a bad thing that people aren't supposed to be. And I think I just was able to skip that because... You know, I had been told by a very reliable source that, you know, women are people and feminism is the belief that women are people and should mm -hmm. be treated as such. So, you know, I never I never saw feminism as a bad thing. And I've never been afraid to call myself a feminist uh, yeah. because of that. I guess to stay on the literature train for now. Yes. Um, what What's your favorite book now? I, you had mentioned one and I can't remember the title. Yes, uh, my... Favorite novel of all time, although it is a very difficult decision, um, is Brighton Rock by Graham Greene. Okay. <laughs> and you had said also you were interested in the, I think you said, like Scandinavian literature use of like a psychopath as kind yeah. of like a literary device. As, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Brighton Rock is about uh, a, a boy who's a, a sociopath, actually. Okay. Um, in a razor gang in Brighton, England in the 1930s uh, who commits a murder. And, um, and the person, kind of like the antagonist, but she's actually supposed to be the good guy because he's, you know, a bad guy, um, if we're going to use those terms. <laughs> <laughs> the antagonist is supposed to be this incredibly empathetic woman who goes through life, um, you know, with joy and goodwill, and she's doing this because she cared about the guy who was killed, even though she'd only met him uh, th that same day. Um, and through the book, 
it becomes clear, at least to me, you know, the 13th time I read it, um, that she is actually a psychopath. And it was very interesting for me, the contrast between the boy who was a sociopath, he did have emotion, but he repressed it and tried very hard not to, not to experience it. And the woman who did not have emotion, she did not have empathy whatsoever. She didn't care about people, but she made a very good show mm. of being that way. And um, so, yeah, and the Scandinavian literature uh, connection is that I find that it's so far the only genre that, you know, as a group, the stories will treat that. They will talk about the psychology of murder. Like, I mean, of course, there are a lot of other um, stories that do talk about that. But, you know, within the genre, I think it's mostly Scandinavian literature in my okay. experience. Okay. Um, is that <coughs> one of the ones, is that one of the books that you've reread? Kind yes. of like quite a bit as well. <laughs> yes, well, it's, again, incredibly well written. And, you know, every time you read it, you get a new sentence or a new piece of information that you didn't, that you didn't understand before that you didn't notice before so it's a very rewarding book to reread mm. when was the first time that you picked it up um i think it was only last year i think it was in 2016 um and you've reread it 13 times since again it's not a very big book <laughs> it's like <laughs> wow. 250 pages about right. um yeah, yeah, it's because, you know what, it's because I watched the movie, and the movie was good that okay. I picked it up. That's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> um, movie's not as good as the book, of course, but um, yeah, yeah, I do that sometimes. See, that acts as, like, the perfect segue to film now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, big fan movies, and I, yes. I confess that I am not so much a fan of movies. I still don't understand that. <laughs> it's haunting me, but... <laughs> You uh, you said that uh, part of well you're going to college next year mm -hmm. and part of it is to study film. Yes. Okay. Um, what's the program specifically? Um, well, it's uh, technically media, but um, the classes mm -hmm. I will be taking are in film studies. Okay. Yeah. And why why the attraction to film? Um. Well, I really love stories and the sharing of stories and um as a person who you know grew up reading novels and not much else uh movies are very intriguing and kind of exotic to me um because like i said last week they're so much more subtle and yet infinitely more explicit uh than books and they really embody if they're well done the show don't tell mm -hmm. rule in storytelling um which is you know as a writer very difficult to do um and i love acting i love the choices that actors make i love the theater and you know watching it firsthand up close but I love how in movies the director has such a presence. Like, of course, in the theater, the director has a very important role and a very, you know, uh, present role. But in movies, there's just that extra dimension, that extra detachment. You're really seeing it through the director's eyes. Again, this is when the mm. movie is well done. Um, and there are many ways to do a movie. And I uh, know of a few that don't have much of a directorial presence, but the actors are able to carry it. Um, 
but directing really fascinates me. And of course, screenwriting, you know, how do you write a movie as opposed to a novel? And what can you do with a movie that you can't do with a novel is just amazing. So is it, uh, is it really the combination of all those things? Or is it, um, do you tend towards more the screenwriting aspect of it? And that's kind of what got you first interested in film? Or is it, I don't know, just the, 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 awe-inspiring, like, visual aspect of certain movies, or... Hmm. Um, hmm. You know, I think it was the acting that got me into it first. Okay. Um, and that makes sense, kind of, because it's kind of the first thing that you see in a movie when you're looking externally. Of course, you know, the stories inside are individual and wonderful. Um, but yeah, I thought I was going to be an actress. Uh, and it's only afterwards that I started you know, looking into it more, like not seeing it as a movie, a complete entity unto itself, but like looking at the decisions that the actors made and, oh, like, why is the camera at that angle at that time? Um, Why is he saying this again? Or why is this not said, even though we know that it's true? Um, That I started to realize more and more how important the director's decisions were. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was like, oh, but somebody actually wrote this and I can do that, I can write them. It's really kind of going layer by layer and yeah, peeling yeah. that back. That's and it's pretty traditional in terms of layers, like first acting, underneath directing, and then the writing that never gets any credit whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite film? Um, I have many, many favorite films that change week to week. Um, but the one that I'm going to stick with is uh, The Tempest, the 2010 movie adaptation by, directed by Julie Taymor. She also wrote the script. She adapted it from the play, Um, which is kind of more statistically my favorite movie because, uh, like I said last week, it's my favorite Shakespeare play uh, by one of my favorite directors uh, starring my favorite actress (laughs) in the most interesting role of the play. So it's like it can't not be my favorite movie. Switching back, I guess, to writing and kind of focusing now on your time at the review mm-hmm. you finally saw a full week of production with yes. us here so what was infamous tuesdays yeah exactly <laughs> what was uh the first well not first impression but i mean it's it's a process for to see kind of whole week yeah so yeah. thoughts um well broadly um i really got a sense of the review's place within the community um and the effort that you guys put into fulfilling your your duties kind of duties makes it sound a bit rigid but um you know how much the people who work here actually care about the paper it's not just a job it's you know an engagement it seems to me and um that's a really great environment, actually, to be working in. Um, so, yeah, that's my general impression. You dealt a lot with our submitted content. Yes. Um, is that kind of what you mean by seeing how important maybe the role is within the community because so many people are sending stuff? In? <laughs> uh, yeah, a bit. Um, and uh, just seeing people come in, uh, I'm working in the front, so whenever somebody comes to just chat even, so many people haven't come in and said, oh, is so-and-so here? And I was just wondering how she is and you know what she's doing. Um, and you know what people come here for? It feels like you know, it's kind of a community hub. It's kind of 
some place that people revolve around and maybe they don't always realize it. They might take it for granted, but, you know, they come in here to announce births and marriages and deaths and, you know, events that are important to them, things that they believe the community is about or should be taking notice of. And um, it really reflects... You know, the people, I can't even remember the question now. Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I got lost. All, all makes sense. All is good. Uh, uh, I just mentioned that since you've been dealing with uh, so much of our submitted yes, content. Yes, submitted content. And it's the submitted content is really uh, cute, actually, and wonderful to see um, how, you know, sometimes the journalists... Uh, and the paper, we miss something, we don't think it's important, and then somebody comes and says, no, this is this is important, people should know about this, and it's it's great to see people so engaged mm-hmm. who come and see us and say, hey, you missed this, but, yeah, you know, it absolutely. needs to be said. Absolutely. Um, now, looking towards the weekend, you're going to be covering, <coughs> I guess, uh, first event. Um, are you looking forward to it? I am, very much so. Uh, and what will you be covering exactly? The horse and buggy parade okay. and the strawberry social afterwards. Any uncertainties going into it? Um, I'm kind of afraid that I'll miss something. <laughs> you know, that something important will happen and I'll be doing something else or busy taking a picture of something else while behind me. I don't know, one of the buggies explodes. Yeah, yeah. I, do they do that? <laughs> um, I, don't, I know I nothing okay, about buggies. I, I do know horses a bit. Uh, I used to ride when I was younger. Nice. Um uh, but yeah, it just, it seems like a lot of responsibility. Um, even though it's a relatively small event compared to some of the things that happen on Rackley Kill. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just really, uh, hoping to cover everything. I'm sure you're <laughs> fine. Um, if we were to, uh, broaden, I guess, this conversation a little okay. bit when it comes to um, nonfiction writing specifically. Yes. Is that something that you have delved into or explored at all? Um, only very recently, actually. Uh, I never read a lot of nonfiction before, um, but, you know, novels are limited in certain ways. Um, and it's been a really interesting experience to kind of delve more into nonfiction in general and, you know, journalism in particular uh, as a as a way to share information. You say it's kind of been recent that, yeah. you, that you've looked into the nonfiction world. So what were what was your intro, I guess, to nonfiction? Um, you know, I think it might have been a civics class, actually, in 10th grade um, when I started getting interested in politics okay. or or less. Um, I, I was already interested, but more in a generally enraged and confused fashion. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I think a lot of people stop at that stage. So. <laughs> well, um, yeah, and then um, in the civics class, you know, we had to learn about politics and what drives politicians and what a government is actually for, because, you know, it's not really something that people know. Mm-hmm. Really, like, why do we have a government? What is its role? Is it failing? Is it working? You know? What's the point of democracy? Why aren't we communists? You know, things like that. Um, so, yeah, and that course and that teacher encouraged me to uh, look deeper. And I started reading, you know, newspapers. Um, not in paper, that's expensive, but <laughs> 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 on their websites. Fair enough. Um, 
And, um, you know, like when something happened that, you know, of course you have an immediate uh, reaction to, um, you know, I'd, I'd go in deeper and read articles about it, read interviews with the people involved, um, and try to piece together something that was a bit more objective. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but that's been fairly recent, yeah. Are there any uh, events that may have triggered that interest? Um, I hate to say it, but... You know, the U.S. presidency, that, that was a big thing. Um, very, very... Uh, detailed in its media coverage. Yeah. Um, and surprising. Worth, I <laughs> yeah. <guess. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, surprising and a bit scary. Um, but, you know, the way I deal with scary things is to learn more about them. Mm. So, yeah, that kind of started it. Um, I, I detached myself from that pretty soon, though. Um, it seems a bit futile now and uh, slightly ludicrous. But um, after that, I really started looking into racism in the Americas. Okay. Uh, which is something that, again, I've always had a latent view of and, you know, have dealt with uh, in very interesting uh ways um but you know to look at what's happening in the states now with for example uh all the people who are being murdered by cops right that's difficult to understand and it makes me angry which is a you know, it, it drives uh, my research. It's very depressing. I wouldn't otherwise have gone into it. Um, but things like that, and you know all the girls who are going missing now, all the young black girls, um, it just really makes me rethink uh, my view of the world, sometimes a bit more negatively than I should. Um, but it, you have to know these things, right? Mm-hmm. You can't pretend that it doesn't exist. Um, so yeah, that's mostly what I've been looking into. Uh, nothing in Canada, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All the news is America-centric. What have you read or looked at when it comes to racism in, in the States? Um, you know, a lot of more recent stuff. Uh, it, And I should be looking into the history uh, of the States um, and the treatment by you know the U.S. government of native peoples and of black people and of uh, brown immigrants. Because, <laughs> you know, nobody ever talks about the European mm-hmm. immigrants, so it's never, uh, go back to France. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but, um, no, I've really been looking, you know, just this year, you know, the Syrian refugee crisis, for example. Um, and um, I don't know, I've been trying to get as general... Uh, an impression as I can just you know as I said for the sake of objectivity but also because I feel like if I go too deep into anything it might be take on too big of a place in my life I can be very uh, passionate about things um, in a not necessarily healthy way for some periods of time and uh, I really don't want this to be you know my overall impression of the world. Mm. I want to remain distant uh, from the emotional aspect of it. So, 
Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just trying to stay on top of things a bit. <laughs> Have you ever heard of uh, the writer Tanahasi Coates? I have not. Tell me. He's uh, he's pretty much my favorite reporter, um, <laughs> top three at least, anyways. <laughs> and uh, he's uh, a regular writer for the Atlantic magazine, mm-hmm. um, but he's also published multiple books on essentially being black in the states. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a fantastic writer. He's. Uh, Can you write that down? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of his, well, his latest book. Actually, maybe he's published one since then. I can't remember. But <laughs> uh, he published one in 2015, I believe, and it's called Between the World and Me. And mm-hmm. it's essentially uh, an essay to his son about being black, growing up black in the States. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a heart-wrenching read. Uh, but it was, it's, it's one of my favorite books and it was absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. Anyway, something to, mm, yeah, look yeah, into that. Yeah. Thanks. Um, for our, for the Canadian side, have you ever heard of the journalist Desmond Cole? Yes. Yes. I can't remember what I read now. Did I read anything? I, I've, yeah, I've heard of him. Just he he used to write for the Toronto Star, and then he's yeah. become kind of a prominent matter of the Black Lives Matter movement in Toronto, mm-hmm. and has since you know was since dismissed from the Star, which made absolutely no sense. Well, well, <laughs> yeah. So, um, just another very very good writer. Right, it does been cool. Yeah. Um, we don't have to get into this if you don't want to. I'm just curious how reading the reading about these events affect you as a young woman of color? Um, you know, I've never been called that before. That's interesting. <laughs> um, well, um, you know, this is a bit of a, of a complicated matter for me because I never really before, very recently, um, thought of myself as a person of color. I don't... Um, That's not, you know, what I think of when I think of myself. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my mom is Caucasian and we've always lived in majoritarily uh, white communities. Um, so much so that I'm often the only person of color in my entire school. <laughs> um, so, um, so you know, there's never been a, a, a community to identify with. Mm-hmm. And it's never really been anything that I thought of as... Um, you know, an identity. Like, uh, I, I always thought, you know, like, I have brown skin and some people make a big deal of it and I don't really understand why. Um, but now that, you know, I've grown up and I've kind of gone out into the world a bit more, at least intellectually, um, it's, uh, sometimes it's kind of scary. Mm. Um, you know, I don't want to think of how it might influence my future negatively. I don't want to think of how, you know, I might not be able to accomplish everything that I want to accomplish because people might not want to see me that way, right? Um, and other times it just, other times I just forget, right? I, I don't see myself as a woman of color. And when people talk about how women of color are treated, um, 
something that I don't think about, oh, that's how I've been treated. That's what's happening to me. These are people like me. Um, like I said, I've never, I've never really thought of myself as a woman. I've never called myself a woman of color. So that's uh, interesting. Um, and something I, I guess I'll have to think about more. Um, you know, especially in the film industry now that I've been looking into, uh, you know, black directors or Asian directors are known for being black or for being Asian or for not being white. And their movies have to be about people who are black or Asian or otherwise non-white. And um, that's uh, interesting and weird. It's like, um, it's stunning is the only word I can find for it. Um, because again, when you grow up in a community that's all white, you don't really see or think about, and I hate to use the word race because it is technically scientifically inappropriate, mm -hmm. but racial, um, stigmas. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go out into the world and be seen as a black director because, I'm not very black. I, I'm not comfortable calling myself black just because I have no connection really to my black family, to any black community. Um, and I feel like it's more of a culture than a skin color and I have no knowledge of that culture. Um, and I, yeah, it just seems weird to me that uh, people will see me as something that I don't see myself, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a bit threatening. <laughs> and, you know, of course, other times I just don't think of it at all and I just go about my life. <laughs> um, I appreciate you opening up about that. I really do. I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think we, we chatted about pretty well everything that I that I wanted to get in. Is there anything that you want to, to explore more, to chat about more? Um, well, I really want you to explain again why you don't like movies, but that's on <laughs> you. <laughs> okay, quick and dirty. Yeah. Uh, I think they're just, they're too much of a time commitment for me. Huh. And I don't know, like, I, I used to be fine with them, mm -hmm. but I don't know. And yeah, I don't know. I think uh, to a certain extent, they're almost too explicit for me sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think, but I haven't taken the view that you have of really sitting down and kind of analyzing it mm -hmm. so much. It's, uh, I think it's sometimes more of a, a passive experience of storytelling as opposed to being mm -hmm. more engaging if I was mm -hmm. to actually have to go pick up a book or a magazine or something and like kind of really dedicate to it. Yeah, and make your own mental images of, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know, it's such a weak argument. But <laughs> okay, but like just in terms of time commitment, like are TV shows better or worse than that? Cause you know, it's 30 minute episodes or an hour episodes, but they go on for so much longer? Like what do you? Fair enough. Um, usually I'll do something if I'm watching TV, mm -hmm. I will never just sit and watch TV. I'll either be like, I don't know, eating <laughs> supper or really just eating supper because I don't watch TV any other time of the day. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so it's kind of a quick little break as yeah. I'm doing something that, and then so I can, and it's kind of routine, I guess, if it's yeah. once 
the same time of day every day. I'm like, yeah, sure. But then I get to do other stuff. Yeah. But sitting for two hours on a couch and then just kind of like watching something is just, I don't know, it's just no longer attractive to me <laughs> as an idea. It's interesting. But, yeah. <laughs> um, last question. Yes. Bringing it all back down to the review. Um, is there anything that you want to accomplish with your time here? Um, I want to learn. That's really it. Um, I've only recently uh, been aware of journalism as a career option, something that I can do and that I would potentially be good at. Um, and I just really want to learn about community journalism, how it works, what's expected of journalists and of community newspapers, you know, how it differs from investigative journal journalism, for example, which is probably not the right term now that I think of it, but whatever, <laughs> um, you know, and what it's like to, to work for a newspaper. Um, that's really what I want to do. And I, I, of course, if I can make a positive contribution to the community, then that would be great too. <laughs> um, well, like I said, uh, this was our take two. So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat again with it's my me. pleasure. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. It might be the last for a few weeks. Uh, June has been a month where we've brought in a few new staff members, but also had to say goodbye to Teresa, who was at the paper for two and a half years, and she was actually the editor for most of that time. That means we're shuffling the newsroom around a little bit, so Up and Comers is going to be on hiatus for a little while as we get organized to hopefully bring you something new and improved. And if you have any comments or suggestions, we are totally open to that. You can get in touch with me at francis at thereview.ca or contact us on our Facebook page or Twitter account at VKH Review. With that said, thanks for listening. Thanks.